You're listening to Field Day with Katie Black. Alrighty, what's up everybody? Welcome to Field Day with Katie Black. I'm very honored and excited. I have with me... Mike Dulaney. What? (laughs) (laughs) Mike Dulaney in the house. Well, Mike, first off, some fun things that I found. I want to see if it's true. Is it true that you're a Virgo? It is true. Do you play into any of the astrology or like absolutely not? Uh, Absolutely, I do. Cool. So do I. That's why I asked that. I love that. yeah, the biggest thing about a Virgo, I, I guess we're type A, right? Uh, so we're anal to some to some level, and uh, I think I fit into that category. Yes, I've read all the all the things again. I don't know if they're true or not, but like I understand you guys are very organized. Is that true? Uh, that would be that's the truth to that. Yes. Do you love a file cabinet? I do. I still have an old school file cabinet with hanging file folders, manila folders inside of those hanging file folders. Yes. <laughs> I pro- probably have tax. I probably have tax uh, information back to hell. I don't know. 97, 98. Is that, is that crazy? I mean, I don't, th- I mean, I think it's cool. I love to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Like, I don't know. I just think that's cool. I think fun, like I love learning about stuff like that. Right. Okay. So for people that don't know, where did you, where were you born slash where did you grow up? Uh, yeah. So interesting background, you know, I, um, I'm one of those single parent household, young African-American males who uh, didn't grow up with a father figure and uh, never met my dad. My dad left before I was born. And uh, one of those deals where a pops, you know, claimed that I wasn't his, you know, I mean, it was one of those things where him and my mom had a relationship and, and unfortunately it didn't work out. And uh, I never really met him or talked to him till probably my, um, geez. My um, senior year in college, as I was graduating and um, heading up to Albany, New York, of all places, uh, to play arena football after I'd been released uh, from the Cincinnati Bengals training camp and um, trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. And mm-hmm. it just, you know, young guy in East Tennessee, Kingsport, Bristol, Johnson City area, NASCAR country. And um, uh grew up over there and I guess I'm a country boy at heart. You know, I grew up in a not so big town and, um, uh, but uh, had a great high school, great bunch of friends and uh, who I still stay in contact with to this day. And I'd say all in all, it was, uh, it was a great upbringing by my super mom. Very cool. Yeah. Now, when you like met your, if you don't mind me asking, like when you met your dad at that age range, was that something that like you, was that exciting? Was that? Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to, and I don't think he did either because at that time I was probably, I don't know, six feet, about 250 pounds and uh, throwing up every weight in the weight room and uh, just always ready to do battle, you know, and 
when I went knocking on his door because I, I just arrived unannounced. So me and a, um, a buddy of mine, Cliff Baskerville, who played defensive back in North Carolina with me, um, we were on our way up and he was from the New Jersey area. I heard my dad was uh, from New Jersey. And um, uh, I just remember an address that a cousin of mine gave to me uh, in church when I was 13, 14 years old. And for some reason, I never forgot the address. That's weird, right? I guess that's a Virgo. Uh, coming out. And I was like, you know what? This is before GPS and all that. So we're paper map going to gas station to gas station, trying to figure out where this address was and uh, knocked on the door and he came to the front door and, uh, uh, and I said, it's Frank Kincaid here. And he proceeds to say, um, who wants to know? <laughs> and I said, his son, Mike wants to know. He's like, uh, Frank's not here right now. May I take a message? And uh, as I turn and walk away, me and Cliff, uh, he says, hold up, Mike, I'm Frank. And that's how I met my dad for the first time. Crazy, uh, right? Yeah. Very. <laughs> yeah, that's that's almost like a scene out of a movie. Yeah, tell me about it. So was that, that I'm sure, was that like comforting to have your friend with you? Oh, yeah, because you never know what's going to pop off. This is, uh, this is New Jersey. I don't know anything about New Jersey or where I was. And uh, it was always good to have a, a guy who kind of knew the area and uh, uh, some beef at my back too, in case uh, anything went down. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, obviously you are an athlete. I always ask people, is that something that, you know, did you have a love for as a youth? Did, you know, did, were you kind of forced into playing? How did that relationship evolve? Um, I don't know. I just, I, I just grew a passion for it as a young kid, you know, loving the Pittsburgh Steelers and, um, and uh, growing up during the late seventies, early eighties, uh, and the Steelers were winning all those Super Bowls. And I'm an avid, uh, football card collector. So, uh, I've got the entire Steelers football team from 1979, uh, on my football card display. And I've had over the years, I've had different guys able to autograph those cards for me, like Donnie Shell, who lives here in the Charlotte area. Uh, Mel Blunt, who was at Donnie Shell's uh, recent uh, golf tournament uh, down in South Carolina. I had a chance to meet some of those guys, Jack Cam, Jack Lambert, Rocky Blyer, and some of those great Steeler guys of the past. And um, um, that's kind of how I just grew a, a passion for it is through the Pittsburgh Steelers and love the way they, uh, love the way they play football. And, uh, and developed a, uh, a passion at that age. Obviously, I know that you played in college at Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. And again, what was, I'm sure that's kind of hard to put into a nutshell, but what was playing there like? Um, well, it wasn't my first choice. <laughs> so I really, I really wanted to go. I mean, you know, North Carolina was always considered a basketball school, right? Michael Jordan and, 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 uh, and all the national titles in basketball. Uh, I wanted to go to Auburn as I, I love Bo Jackson. I love uh, Pat Dye. I love the whole SEC. And I grew up in Tennessee, big orange country. And everybody in the area wanted me to go to Tennessee. But uh, my brother ended up going there and running track. And I have a sister-in-law who he married while he was in Tennessee who played uh, on a couple of national championship teams with Pat Summit. So uh, a really athletic group of people that, uh, that I knew and, uh, uh, were really good friends with and friends of the family. And, but I really want to go to Auburn. I love Bo Jackson. He was kind of my idol growing up. 
And uh, unfortunately, you know, Auburn wanted me to play defense and uh, Tennessee wanted me to play defense. And they really didn't seem like they were really interested in me playing running back. So uh, Mac Brown was a first-year coach in North Carolina. And uh, they recruited me a little later because the previous coach, Dick Crum, got fired. And uh, Mac came in late and was a little bit behind the eight ball in his recruiting efforts at North Carolina. But um, uh, his wife at the time... Um, uh, was from my hometown. So there was that connection there too. And Mac was from Cookville, Tennessee. And um, uh, he recruited me. They offered me a full ride. I took the visit and uh, I guess the rest was history. Uh, really enjoyed the visit and all the guys I, I got to know there. And uh, uh, I ended up being a Tar Heel. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. So, and, and you know, and it was funny that, you know, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the folks in North Carolina remember me as Mike Falkerson. Um, and of course I changed my name right before I got married in 97 when I was in Chicago playing with the bears because that Falkerson name, uh, and I don't know if we were going to get to this, uh, if you even knew that, uh, that my, but my name was Mike Falkerson all the way up until 1997. Uh, so it's funny that they did an article in Chicago when I was there, like one year I was Falkerson and the next year I came back after I got married, my name was Delaney. Um, and Delaney is my mother's maiden name. Uh, Falkerson was my older brother's dad. She divorced him and then, of course, met my dad. Um, and I was like, you know what? Falkerson really, all these years, really had nothing to do with me, blood-wise, you know? And I was like, before I start having children and a family of my own, I just wanted to go back to my mom's maiden name. Uh, she just never went back to it after she got a divorce. And um, uh, so I went to Delaney, all my aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody's Delaney's. So I made that change in Chicago. And uh, I've, been cool. Mike, I've been Mike Delaney ever since 1997. Now I'm all about like energy and vibes. Do you feel like once you changed your last name, was did you feel like a, an energy shift? Uh, no, like that? That's, that's a good question. Um, no, not really, but um, I just felt like it was a hassle trying to explain <laughs> the whole story behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was so comfortable with making that change that I really had no allegiance to Falkerson. I really had no uh, desire for my children to carry on that legacy, I guess, and that name. Uh, you know, my mother's the one who was the strength and the rock of our family. And uh, hell, if you can count all my aunts and uncles who still lived in the area too, were Delaney's that helped raise us as well. So I, I really felt a closeness to, to, to her maiden name versus uh, uh, how everybody remembered me back in high school and college, you know? That's very cool. I love that. Very cool. Now, playing at Chapel Hill... Did you know, hey, I'm going to, I want to do this. I want to go into the NFL. Like, did that just, you know what uh, I mean? Was that a, go a goal of yours? You're like, I'm going to do this post-college? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a goal. But you mm -hmm. know, and, and being a division one college athlete, um, um, it almost like it's, it becomes a job. You know, you, you spent more time studying film and spending time on a practice field, weight room, games, travel uh, than you ever did in a classroom. Um, so it was kind of like you were athletes than students. But um, uh, it started to wear on me a little bit. And so I questioned, do I really want to continue doing this? But every time, you know, you run out of that tunnel and you 
And, you know, you get a win under your belt. You were competing for ACC title or to go to a bowl game. Man, it just it just sends this energy through you that uh, this is what I want to do and this is what I'd love to do full-time and actually get paid to do something that I really enjoy to do. And that's my, my junior and senior year. That's when I started saying, hey, I'm blocking for Natron Mean. So Natron was uh, the man back in the day at tailback. Hell, he ran the ball 30, 40 times a game. I mean, we were a running football team. So with him getting all those uh, carries and having that success, everybody's like, well, hell, who's that guy in front of him blocking for? Him? Uh, and that's kind of how I got seen by some uh, some NFL scouts who uh, – we were coming on campus to work Natron out, but uh, uh, wanted to see me as well. Wow. So um, you go to Cincinnati, right? In 93. Yep. And what was that like freshman year in the NFL like? Uh, the game's much faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> guys, hit, guys hit harder. Um, and it was a bad team. Oh my gosh, Katie, it was a bad team. You know, Dave Shula was the, uh, the head coach. Um, you know, of course the legendary coach, uh, Don Shula's kid. Um, and I had a run in with a lot of those Shulas back in the day, but, um, uh, Dave was a head coach, uh, Harold Green, who was a great running back out of Cincinnati and, uh, Eric Ball who was a great fullback out of UCLA. Both were holding out that year. They needed bodies in camp. And uh, Jim Anderson, great man, great running backs coach. Uh, on day two of the draft, this is when they had, I think they had eight or nine rounds back then, maybe maybe 10 rounds. Uh, and he calls me up on the second day, late in the second day. I said, Mike, it doesn't like it's going to happen, man. You ready to come in and sign a free agent contract? And I was like, hell yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So I go to camp doing well and um, um, uh, ended up getting released. And um, actually, I, uh, I quit. Uh, I went in and told Jim Anderson, man, this, I know when Harold Green and Eric Ball, once they sign, y'all, y'all going to cut my ass anyway. And he's like, hey, that may be the case, but at least you can get in these preseason games, get some film, maybe get picked up by another team. And I was like, you know what? Nah. I got a job lined up with Ralston Purina, a sales job back in Atlanta, Georgia. And I think I'm going to go home and just start my career. So I left camp. Left were, they, camp. were they stunned that you left? Stunned. Like Jim, Jim Anderson was stunned. Dave Shula was stunned. Uh, I, I, I recall them interviewing him or something, just kind of stating that. Was he a long shot? Yes. Was he doing great in camp? Yes, he was. So it was always that opportunity for me making a practice squad or something like that. But I just really knew and felt that, you know, once those two guys signed back, you know, I was, my days were numbered. I was going to be gone. So I just kind of walked out of camp. And uh, to this day, I regret that decision because uh, it was the worst decision, probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made. But uh, ended up uh, playing arena football up in Albany, New York. Uh, after that for a year. Yeah. <laughs> did you go from Cincinnati to Atlanta to Albany or did? I didn't because once I got back home and had the chance to uh, stew over my decision mm-hmm. uh, for a while, uh, I realized that you, you, you really fucked up, Mike, <laughs> you know, you really screwed up. And, um, and at that moment, I knew that I've got to fight 
to make my dream come true. I was like, I, I really screwed up. And I came back and my, my wife was still in, my, my now wife and girlfriend was still in school at Caroline at the time. And uh, um, she was finishing up her degree as well. So I go back, I start working there locally. You know how you hear UPS job or, yeah. you know, guys flipping pizzas or something like that. And all of a sudden a team calls them and, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe hoping for one of those moments. Uh, but it never came. <laughs> and my agent was like, yeah, man, you fucked up. Um, uh, so I did, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? So there's this league called the arena football league that, uh, I end up joining and, uh, playing up in Albany, New York with the Albany, New York firebirds. Uh, and, uh, what did I know about Albany, New York? Not shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, like what, what the hell am I doing up here? What am I doing with my life? And a uh, great group of guys, though. Believe it or not, Eddie Brown, who is Antonio Brown's father, uh, oh, wow. is one of our star players up there and is a uh, arena football legend. Um, and uh, Mike Perez, who had time with the New York Giants, was there. So you had some guys with some NFL experience and uh, had a dynamic offense, and we played well, and I played well. And um, it's am I talking too much? No, absolutely not. <laughs> this is what podcasting is all. It's all about, yeah, so the crazy thing was that uh, how I got found, how somebody found me to get me back in the NFL, it's a crazy story. Uh, Mike McCartney, who at the time was an agent, I mean, I'm sorry, a scout with the Mm -hmm. Chicago Bears, Mm -hmm. and he was a graduate assistant coach at North Carolina under Mike Brown when I was there, and... uh, he calls down to our running backs coach, uh, Daryl Moody at the time, and was like, what's, what's Falk doing, man? Where, where is he at? You know, I saw he was in Cincinnati. He got released from camp. Like, what, what happened to him? What's he doing now? And uh, Coach Moody says he's in the Arena Football League playing up in Albany, New York. Uh, so he calls me up, and he's like, Mike, man, we need a big, bruising fullback in camp with the Bears. Dave wants that's the coach. We've got, uh, this is before they, dra- actually right after they drafted Rashawn Salam out of Colorado who won the Heisman Trophy that year. And um, we need a, we need a bruising fullback. We need somebody in here who can give us a look. And uh, they brought me into camp. And he was like, man, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a long shot. You're going to make this team. But he gave me the whole spiel that uh, Jim Anderson gave me about uh, it's an opportunity. You know, get film, get on a practice squad. Another team can pick you up, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of ways and routes you can get to making a roster. Uh, I was like, I'll take it. And uh, they brought me in, worked me out, signed me. And um, I was not going to fuck that opportunity up. (laughs) So I went in and I hit everything that moved. I fought about every other day. Um, and the guys respected that. And I was one of those tough guys that brought a level of toughness uh, to some of the guys on there, like uh, Raymond Harris, Antonio Carter, Rashawn Salam, and uh, enjoyed playing with those guys and uh, ended up sticking there for three years. And so what was it, you know, like I said, kind of like the Chapel Hill, I'm sure it's hard to put in a nutshell, but what was, what was the vibe like? What was it like to play in Chicago? Uh, come on, what? You're talking about one of those original NFL franchises, mm-hmm. a, uh, a lot of history, the McCaskey family, 
uh, George Hallis, Walter Payton, you know, the 85 Bears, I mean, which their money's still no good in that town, you know. Until another Bears team wins a Super Bowl, you know, those guys will walk around like royalty uh, in that town. Uh, and I would argue to say that is the that is the most beloved football team. And you can talk about Michael Jordan all you want to and all the championships they won in basketball. But I'm telling you, man, those Chicago fans love the Bears. And they especially love that 85 Bears team. And they really love Walter Payton. Um, so um, it was a dream come true, you know, other than playing in Pittsburgh for the Steelers, who I, who I loved as a kid. I mean, that was, that was probably the next best thing. With my research, is it, I understand that you made a touchdown against the Steelers. Is that correct? Uh, that was in a preseason when I was in Carolina with the Panthers. Yeah, yeah. But uh, my only What was that was, like? Oh, well... It was it was okay, but uh, that was the uh, that was a final preseason game of the '99 season in which I got cut. <laughs> so that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But uh, the one that leaves a good taste in my mouth is a touchdown I scored against the uh, Detroit Lions when they Barry Sanders and and some of those Detroit Lions teams where you know it was always awesome for whatever reason. I never understood why. The Detroit Lions play on Thanksgiving Day every single year. Uh Um, And I think the Dallas Cowboys do too. But, um, you know, watching Barry Sanders kind of do his thing on the field was was ridiculous. And then the the weeks leading up to that game, guys trying to have a Robert Green who we had on our team was that little scat back, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to contain Barry Sanders and stop him. Well, you really can't. And all you can do is just kind of slow them down and hope that your offense scores enough points to uh, to win the game. <laughs> sure thing. So fast, so interesting, so fascinating. I love learning about you. So to backtrack a little bit, just because I cannot stand the cold, how do you prepare? <laughs> I mean, I know that might be a silly question, but for Chicago, like, how do you physically prepare to play in that cold? Uh, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you just grin and bear it, but. I'll tell you what, it was an advantage for us over, you know, a Tampa Bay or a Miami or uh, any of the L.A. teams, Arizona Cardinals, that kind of stuff, because I don't think, I think, and it's, I don't think it's the case now, but up until 1997, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their franchise history have never won a game in Chicago when the temperature is at freezing or below. Mm-hmm. Um, and those late December games in Chicago, you know, forget about it. You know, Lake Michigan is frozen over. You've got people out there setting up tents, ice fishing out there. Uh, it was brutally cold some games. But, uh, yeah, that, and, and the crazy thing is Soldier Field never have, had any heating coils up under it. So the field sometimes froze over. And you couldn't wear spike cleats out there. So you had to wear sneakers or turf shoes on a grass field to get any traction. That is wild. Um, that's wild, right? And this is this is late 90s where you're thinking, you know, AstroTurfs and things like that are kind of changing. But uh, we still had some, some old stadiums like Bush Stadium in St. Louis, you know. 
Uh, I even played on the old Chicago stadium against the Browns uh, before they built their new stadium, you know, which was shared with the uh, Cleveland Indians. So some really old 1950s, 1960s stadiums that were still being used uh, back in the late 90s, which is which is crazy to think about now. Wow. Yeah. Just my 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 mind is like low key blown. Okay, so <laughs> you leave Chicago and you go straight to Carolina. Uh, yeah, went to Carolina. Yeah, Dom Capers last year and George Seifert's first year down there. Um, some bad teams. Oh, oh some bad teams. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, but again, still, uh, you know, a good, and it was, it was a time where, and I don't know if you recall the, um, the Ray Carruth situation, uh, in Carolina. Can I, can I, I saw that the years that you were in Carolina and since I studied the whole medium, I'm like, I knew that that was that timeframe. And so I, I went back in my head. Do I ask you about that? Do I, so Please, whatever yeah, you want to share about yeah. that time period. Um, you know, it was um, it was a crazy time. You know, uh, uh, Kerry Collins, who was our um, uh, quarterback, uh, Steve Berline backed him up. Um, Kerry Collins quit on us. It was weird. It came out of nowhere. Uh, everybody was shocked. And, um, you know, one or two weeks later, I can't remember what it was, Dom Capers said, bye, see you. So we cut him. Um. And then uh, the whole Ray Carew situation happened where he had his pregnant girlfriend uh, intentionally murdered. Um, um, so I was there for all of that. And I thought Ray was a really, you know, a really cool guy um, and, and hung out with him and, and stuff like that. I never in a million years would have thought he was uh, capable of doing something like that, you know. Um, but, you know, little do we know that we really don't know people as well as we think we do. You know, and uh, some people may be in some dark places. And uh, I don't know if he had, you know, other children by other women, uh-huh. uh, other places, you know. I mean, sometimes that happens with, with some guys in the league. But uh, uh, but to seek out someone to commit that crime, I was shot. Uh-huh. And, um, and then after that, you know, my roommate on the road when we traveled was in, in training camp as well was Fred Lane. And then uh, Fred Lane, you know, Deidre Lane ended up uh, killing him, shooting him right there in their front door with a shotgun right in his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was shocked. Uh, so it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time uh, here in Carolina, those, those couple of years there. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah, I'm... How do I, how do I have a follow-up question? I guess with, with the focusing on the Carruth first, is that something that you found out, like team members found out just like the rest of Charlotte in the country, like through the media or did someone sit you guys down and say, Hey, we need to let you know this has gone on or. Um, well, yes and no. Um, I think more or less we found out through the media because it actually happened after the season was over. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was in the all season is, okay. is when that happened. If I recall correctly, I think it was sometime in the spring, maybe before the draft, maybe right after the draft of uh, 1999. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I think that's kind of when, when, when that uh, a lot of the folks kind of found out about that. And, um, yeah, you know, 19 years in prison and he was recently released uh, 
a few years back. And uh, I guess he's just trying to put his life back together. Um, and I've actually played in a couple of uh, charitable golf events uh, on behalf of his, uh, of his son um, uh, as well. So they do some, some of those events around Charlotte when he was kind of growing up. For cerebral palsy, which he uh, which he suffered from uh, due to that uh, premature birth, and um, um, for the most part, you know, uh, Miss Adams, um, I guess it's Sharika Adams' mother, has been taking care uh, of him all these years and has done a, a outstanding job. Totally, totally an angel. Um, now, with Fred Lane, and I guess you know, I mean, obviously, two totally different situations, but I am curious. With Fred Lane and Cruth, do NFL associates say, "Hey guys, if the media asks you about anything, we don't want you to say anything," or is it just not even addressed? No, um, you know, I don't go into any details or anything. I may have heard, you know, through the grapevine. You know, I just kind of keep those comments to myself because if I can't, you know, validate anything or confirm anything, I just kind of keep my, course, you know, my yeah. comments to myself about that. But. Um, Fred was another one, man, who was just, uh, you know, balls to the wall, 100 miles an hour, everything he did. And um, um, I just, everybody was sick to their stomach about about Fred when that went down. Uh, and I don't even know kind of what happened with the case. Maybe you have, have, have followed a little bit. I followed a little bit, but I don't know whatever happened. But I, I guess it was considered um, uh, self-defense. I'm just not sure how the whole... Uh, the whole uh, played verdict out. Yeah. played out, yeah. Um, so did obviously those two things kind of cloud like the fun of the game for you here in Charlotte? Uh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> As yeah. you can and and we were on a bad and we had a couple of bad seasons too. Um, so yeah, so it was com- it was completely dysfunctional. And you know when George Seifert came. You know, I got my opinions about George Seifert and him going in in front of the television and trying to be a, a broadcaster and play by play guy, and then all of a sudden trying to come back and be a, a you know a football coach. Well, I always looked at it as you know he was on a team of Hall of Famers, right? In San Francisco, he inherited a great team of a bunch of great football players, and uh, he came to Carolina and it wasn't none of that. <laughs> so. You had to rebuild a team and rebuild an identity and rebuild a culture after all this other chaos just kind of went down. And uh, I mean, looking back on it, it's probably tough for for a head coach to to be successful in that environment. But um, hey, we all get paid to do a job, right? Um, and if it doesn't work out, hey, you, you gave it the old college try. Mm-hmm. But um, with Seifert, uh, it was it was just weird. Um, he really never said anything to anybody. He kind of talked through his staff. So mm. if he had to say something to you, he didn't say it to you directly a lot of times. He, mm. he spoke through his uh, position coaches to to relay messages and stuff. So, so obviously there was no no connection was formed then, sounds like. Uh, in my opinion, no. Right. No, at least not for me and, and some other guys who were battling to make that roster. Um, so at any rate, it just left a, a really bad taste in my mouth. And, um, uh, he was a w- really weird, weird guy, uh, quirky guy, but I guess he had his own way of doing things. Uh, I guess so. But not quirky. A fun qu- What's that? No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's like, I mean, obviously I'm getting a vibe of it. it. You know, sometimes people can be like quirky fun. It sounds like 
not quirky fun, just like maybe some like just weird, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was weird. It was, uh, he had a, his own weird way of doing things. And I'd be interested to know what a lot of San Francisco 49er players had to say about George Seifert, really as a head coach, not really a position coach or defensive coordinator, but, but a head coach. Yeah. When he took over after Bill Walsh. For sure. Well, I'll keep that in my file cabinet and find, <laughs> see if I find out for you in the next year or so. But um, so I kind of hear even you've said this. So essentially you ended the, your, you know, your football career, your football passion here in Carolina on a bad note. Is that right? Uh, I would say yes. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> that just, you know, I mean, obviously you never want to hear of, um, you know, any athlete or whatever anyone's occupation is ending on a bad note, especially one that they put so much passion into. But I guess it stings a little bit for me because, you know, I'm born and raised in Charlotte and a Panther fan. So I'm sorry to hear that that happened for you. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, you know, things happen. Uh, you know, I, I I still go back. You know, we just recently had the uh, alumni game. You know, they honored Sam Mills at the uh, Cardinals game last week. So, uh had a chance to catch up with a lot of guys, you know, and guys I didn't even know or didn't even play with, like Luke Keekley and and some of those guys were there. But uh, there were some other guys there that I did play with. Uh, they came back to uh, to honor Sam Mills, and uh, it was a great um, uh, a great time uh, seeing those guys and reconnecting with a few of them. Very cool. Like I said, so I always say so many different directions I could go from here, but was just curious, um, you know, you being in Charlotte and obviously you know, being a Panther at one time, any thoughts or any vibes of what do you think has always kind of been maybe missing from the organization? Um, you know, I don't know because they've had it before, you know, they've had it before. Look, it's hard to win in this league. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to win. So, uh, building a culture, building a, um, a franchise, a winning franchise year in, year out. And, and I, and I just say a winning franchise because once you get to the dance, which is the playoffs, hell, it's anybody's game to win. And not only that, but getting home field advantage in the playoffs mm -hmm. is is even bigger. So, and then getting a home field first round bye, you know, those are the teams that end up going to the Super Bowl or the NFC AFC uh, championship game. So. The uh, the winning during the regular season is built into success in the playoffs. And if you can field a team uh, uh, during the season, uh, that's just going to increase your chances of making it to the Super Bowl. Now, they've had that magic. You know, they had that magic with Jake DeLone. They've had that magic with, uh, with Cam Newton. Why they haven't won a Super Bowl? I mean, damn. I mean, Tom Brady for one. Uh, which they had the opportunity to win that game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that and was then the other one was was Von Miller. Nobody could block Von Miller. Uh, so you're talking about two guys who are NFL Hall of Famers and who one had, you know, I don't know if Tom Brady won the MVP that year, but he was probably, you know, top three in the in the NFL in the voting uh, that year. They they beat the Panthers in the Super Bowl. And then you've got Von Miller, who just played out of his freaking mind, uh, was literally unblockable uh, in that game against the Panthers. So um, they could very easily have two Super Bowl trophies right now if it wasn't for those two guys. 
But you're talking Hall of Famer guys, though. I mean, they have many yeah. slouches. You know, it ain't like they were, you know, these uh, these fly by night, you know, genie in a bottle kind of players. I mean, these guys have done it consistently over and over again for a number of years. No, I understand. I just always, just because I'm a fan and just a uh, study of the culture, just always want to hear people's opinion on that. But obviously, it's it's definitely interesting to hear, you know, from a former Panther. But Going on a little bit, I always say I want to say like I'm in the sixth, seventh inning of the interview, but was curious, do you have being an athlete, a professional athlete, do you have any lasting effects of injuries on your body that you can share or? Uh, lasting effects, yeah. You know, did I have any major surgeries? No. Uh, during my career, I probably didn't play enough to, uh, you know, I wasn't an every down guy. I was a short yardage and goal line fullback and then a special teams player. Um and hell, if I was playing today on special teams, I mean, you just don't have those collisions that you used to have back in the day. But uh, I'm part of a concussion lawsuit. Um, you know, have I filed for, um, you know, line of duty disability? Yes. Neurocognitive disability? Yes. Uh, am I in a, currently in a concussion lawsuit? Yes. So uh, I, I do all those things and pursue all those things because you never know what the future holds. Um, and you got to get those baseline assessments mm-hmm. and um, and see how life progress. But um, as you probably very well know, I mean, the uh, statistics are out there that, you know, former professional football players, life expectancy is is shorter than the normal average, uh, average male um, uh, American citizen. So um, we've got our... Uh, um, we know what our marching orders are, but uh, would most of the guys change anything as far as their career goes, um, other than getting paid more money? <laughs> um, I think, you know, you know, the guys wouldn't change it. You know, you enjoyed it. You loved it. You loved the camaraderie of the guys. You loved the locker room aspect of it. You love the, the cheering fans, the packed stadiums, the good, the bad, the ugly of it. Uh, you know, it all kind of plays into it. I feel you. Well, I appreciate you sharing. Appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Um, now, what was the transition like post, you know, post NFL into like uh, the workforce, if you will? Um, it was easy for me. Well, I can't say easy, but it was easier for me than I think a lot of guys because um, I knew my days were numbered, you know? Um, so... With that being said, I was kind of setting myself up for the transition uh, long before I ever got that pink slip in my locker that uh, your services are no longer available. Um, so, uh, you know, I did internships with a few guys. You know, I did sports internships with uh, with Reebok, and um, they, I think they were the uh, NFL. They had the NFL contract, uh, apparel contract at the time. Um, so uh, I was kind of preparing myself for that. Even went back to get a uh, a master's degree in athletic administration when I was in Chicago at DePaul University, but uh, unfortunately didn't finish that because the Bears were dragging their feet on offering me a uh, a tender for a restricted free agent contract, and uh, Carolina Panthers offered me one, and I jumped at the opportunity to get back down to this area. Um, so I was kind of ready to make that transition once I knew I wasn't going to get picked up. Uh, by another team, uh, kind of waited out the season. Maybe you get picked up mid-season, late season. Somebody gets hurt, and uh, you always get called up. But um, 
that never happened for me. So I uh, went ahead and uh, and made that decision to retire. And funny thing, I just got you know um, connected with a, a former teammate of mine who was in the medical device industry. Uh, and you know we deal with a lot of injuries and you know hips and knees and shoulders and elbows and all kinds of orthopedic kind of things and uh, kind of got into that orthopedic device industry um, shortly after being in the pharmaceutical business for a couple of years and then kind of, and then got lucky to get in the medical device industry and it's been it's been great ever since. Well, awesome! Congrats! Yeah. Congrats! I appreciate it. And also congrats on, do you think maybe just maybe having that incident where you walked away in Cincinnati like that, maybe prepared prepared your brain of like all these things that might happen where maybe other athletes just try don't look that far ahead or something or? Uh, yeah, yeah, guys think you're going to play forever. You think you're going to make enough money to live off of forever. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, you got, you know, 10% of the guys making 90% of the money. Uh, and that's just a that's uh, just a fact that the stars, I think they might you know uh, they can command those kind of salaries. But you know when you're you know a guy in my position, where um, you know you're just lucky to make that that roster uh, and, and play this game you love. You know um, we just um, we're just happy for you know the stuff we we can get. And the uh, making a roster, uh, getting playing time, uh, scoring a touchdown—you know—all those things you get to to do as a player, or a defensive guy, getting a sack, getting an interception, those kind of things. You know, you just live for those kind of things on the biggest stage uh, that we have. So, uh, you know, some guys are just happy to have that and think that they can play forever. But once that day comes, to where you got some decisions you got to make. Um, some guys it's tougher than others to uh, to walk away, and I get it, you know. Um, but man, there's so much life after football to live that um, you know. At some point, you have to come to grips with it, and uh, that's why mental health in the league now is so important. With uh, guys reaching out and just talking. Uh, about one making that transition, and two, you know, if you do have some some mental issues going on from concussions or, um, you know, God forbid, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and all those things that um, we have services for now uh, to, to to help guys, you just hope that they seek out that help and and get the help that they need um, while they're trying to make that transition. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Do you feel like there are more? Um options in the NFL or obviously the NFL is more aware of what goes on as opposed to maybe when you played? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the concussion lawsuit was a real wake-up call uh, for the league and, uh, you know, sweeping those things under the uh, the table for so many years and then having these contracts with these helmet uh, manufacturers like Rydell, Bikey, and uh, I can't remember some of the other ones, but uh, it forced them to step their game up and to... Uh, to have a lot more technology behind uh, the helmet. And also, <laughs> let's be honest, man, these guys ain't hitting anymore. I mean, it's, it's almost like flag football out there now sometimes. And not getting those reps during the during the uh, training camp uh, and during the season or during the week prior to a game, it shows on the field so bad. 
you know, there's so many missed tackles out there. And when a guy does get hit, it's almost like he didn't even get hit in his head. But for whatever reason, the impact of that hit made him woozy. Um, and evidently, there's some neurological deficit there from that hit. But, I mean, damn, I had harder hits in practice, you know, wearing shoulder pads and shoulder pads and helmets and, and not full gear than some of these guys are, are hitting today. You know, y'all look at some of the defensive backs. Defensive backs don't even wear pads in their in their pants in their it's like they're wearing running tights out there for for pants to protect their thighs and their knees so uh it's a different game now it's all about speed it's about uh protecting the players it's about high scoring offenses because that's what the i think that's what the fans want to see uh you know a 10-3 game is not very entertaining uh, so the high scoring offenses and you know these guys just throwing up these astronomical numbers passing wise receiving wise uh, it's just incredible. So um, it's a different ball game now. Yeah, for sure. That is my kind of understanding that it is a different game. It is. A yeah. But um, okay. Two more questions. I am. I think I might have told you this previously. I'm not sure. Study of fame on any level. Was wondering since you were, you know, in the spotlight. Did you come to a point where you were able to pick up on people that were around you that maybe weren't the best? Or did someone give you some insight into like maybe, you know, any any thoughts on any thoughts on that journey for you? Um just the fame and fortune of being a professional football player? Yeah, or just, you know, just simply being in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, you know, I always joke that I was I've always tried to you know, take, take inventory of who's around me. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, even at like, you know, LOL middle school, but just didn't know if like, you know, you, did you become more observant of people's needs or why they were around you, around uh, you during yeah, those years? You know, and it, yeah. And it, this goes back to being a Virgo too, I guess, you know, I, and, and, you know, being, you know, pretty successful at, at what I do now, you know, it's all about networking. It's all about, um, Reaching out to guys, I stay in contact with people. Uh, I try to touch people um, because one, you know, I do favors for a lot of guys, and two, I'd like to receive a favor. If if I pick up the phone and call you, then I expect you to return a favor at some point in time. That's just how we do as as former teammates because everybody's got a a, a charitable event or something that they want you to show up for and yeah. and participate and help them. Uh, raise money for a particular cause, but not only that, um, it's just um, you know touching guys and being in the locker room setting. I wasn't the alpha male, you know. I wasn't the lead dog. So, but you know who those you you know who those guys are, you know. You know who the alpha males are in that locker room, and you know who the lead dog and everybody else kind of follows their lead. Uh, you need to have those kind of guys on your team. And uh, and we had those in certain certain aspects on certain teams I played on. But being in that atmosphere, uh, I guess I'm answering your question. Being in that atmosphere, yeah, you know who you could go to and talk to versus you know who was just not going to give you much information you could go on and uh, wasn't going to be very helpful at all. Because in the end, you know, especially the guys playing your position, you're all competing for a job. Um, 
And I always said the Monday after the Sunday, if you're on that roster, the Monday after that last preseason game, you're good. You know, all of a sudden there's just this relief that lets off certain guys, especially that on that roster from about number 40 to number 53 on that 53-man roster. You know, there's this feeling of relief that comes over when, you know, your name didn't get called on that Monday after the Sunday. So you knew you were good. You knew you were going to make that team. Um, but yeah, you know, there's alpha males, there's alpha dogs, there's leaders, uh, even in that, that realm. Um, and, um, you know, you knew that. And I always had this one story as, um, Alonzo Spellman. I was like, Alonzo, man, I big defensive end played at Ohio state. And I was like, man, let me see your, let me see your check. You know, how big is your check, dude? I just want to see it. I just want to see what, what that looks like. And uh, he showed it to me at two checks. Um, and this is way before these astronomical salaries are now, but this was after taxes. And I, he, I think it was one check for $180,000 and he had another check for like, you know, a hundred grand. And this was his weekly salary for 17 weeks. And I was just blown away by, you know, what I'm a part of. Uh, not only that, you watched it on TV as a kid and you learned to, to love these guys, uh, you know, idolizing some of these players that you grew up loving, especially the Pittsburgh Steelers. But to be in that locker room and to be in that atmosphere and to be part of that fraternity uh, was everything to me. Yeah. So um, That's awesome. it was awesome. Yeah. Okay. My final off the beaten path question that I love to ask at the end is, and obviously it's okay if you haven't, but was wondering, have you ever seen a ghost or a spirit or something that you can share that obviously you never forgot? A ghost or a spirit? No. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> well, I, I was thinking maybe because it's close to Halloween, you, you, you hit me with a, uh, a Halloween uh, uh, something. But no, 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 no ghosts, no, uh, no spirit or anything like that. Um, and that's totally, know, wish, totally fine. I just, I love that. I question. wish I had the ghost of Bo Jackson came into my body and I was, I was reincarnated as that kind of athlete back in the day, no doubt about it. That is too funny. Well, Mike, that's it. What do you think? Good deal. Great. Great time. Um, okay. It was, um, it was um, good speaking with you and good meeting you virtually. And um, uh, thanks for reaching out. I hope I uh, gave you uh, something uh, good to chew on or whatever. And, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate you so much. Like I said, always, you know, want to say thank you for sharing, you know, sharing your story, essentially. No problem. No problem. This is Field Day with Katie Black. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.